right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Small Talk with Big Al. I am your host, Big Al, as indicated by the title. So what we're going to do on this podcast is just have everyday conversations with people on topics they want to talk about, because really, that's going to be the most interesting thing that they are going to get into. So there's no reason not to let them kind of guide the conversation where it goes. So today, we're going to bring in an old friend of mine who I have known for quite a long time. Um... Obviously, haven't been friends the entire time, not to say that we were enemies, but what, we've known each other since, shit, like 2002 or so, I guess? I think I was in third grade the first time I came to the Jesus Christ, don't say that. I'm serious. Um, uh, so if you were in third, <laughs> I'd have been in like seventh. So that would have been like 2000 on the dot, Jesus. So 19, 20 years now that we've been friends, uh, or that we've known each other. Uh, we really didn't get close, I guess, until probably the past decade or so of that, once we were both kind of in college. Um, so without further ado, you've heard her talk now, I don't even know who the fuck she is. Um, this is my good friend, just Jessica, I guess, or do you want to... Jessica's fine. Jessica, okay. great. Okay, so Jessica is um, currently working in retail. But what we're going to talk about today is kind of her path to her, her career that she does outside of what she does to on the day-to-day to make a living. <laughs> um, because it's much different than what she, her actual career path is, and which is much different than where her initial career path was taking her as well. So we're going to kind of start off with that and just kind of how you got to where you got to. Um, so the the topic for today is the food industry in general and Jessica's kind of path and experience with that um, topic so to start off you you finish up at the grand metropolis of Poplarville High School yep 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 did you go straight to USM after that or did you go to Pearl River first no I went to Southwest Community College I played soccer for one semester um in which I actually got my first restaurant job while I was living in Macomb. And that's kind of where all of this started. So just kind of, we'll backtrack to that later. So I left Macomb and then I went to, I did Pearl River for about a semester, had kind of a lot of upheaval stuff. Um, Left there, moved to Hattiesburg, more restaurant stuff in Sue's. Lived in Hattiesburg for several years, moved back to Poplarville um, food industry, but not restaurant related for a little while and then left there, went to culinary school in New York. So before we get too much into that, you actually, when you moved to Hattiesburg, for those listening, not in Mississippi, which by the time this episode airs is probably still at zero, everybody, (laughs) this is going to be my mom and your mom. And that's pretty much it. Um, listening, your husband probably won't even take the time. Um, Hey Craig. So, hi, Greg. This you didn't start at USM, the University of Southern Mississippi in Hattiesburg. You didn't right. start there with an eye towards restaurants and food industry. Um, you were majoring in something quite different. Yeah, yeah. So, well, yes and no. So everything was all kind of in flux. So when I was in Macomb in junior college at Southwest, I got my first restaurant job, uh, back a house, which is kitchen for those non-restaurant people. And I, the only, probably the only argument I've ever gotten in, in my life with my mother, had significantly many with my father, but probably the only one with my mom was uh, about culinary school at that point. So when I was in junior college, I really, I got that first restaurant job and really wanted to go to culinary school. But 
the overall consensus in my entire family was that I could go to college pretty much for free uh, because of scholarships, academics, etc. And if I was smart enough to go to real college and not a trade school, then I should. So all of that kind of went as it went and I did end up going to Southern. Uh, I was a med tech major, uh, clinical science actually is what it was. And I got all the way to my junior year of that program. I was doing really well, high GPA, all these good things. And um, a bunch of shit happened, kind of lost my shit a little bit. Uh, tanked my GPA, a bunch of bad stuff all at once. Changed my major to biology, still didn't have my shit together. And uh, Southern at that point had had a new program come out called Interdisciplinary Studies, which pretty much yep. is like, you know, you've changed your major three or four times, but we're still going to give you a degree because you spent a lot of money. Because you have a lot of hours. Yeah, because you've been here for a long time. So we're going to give you a piece of paper and get you the fuck out of here. So that is what I did. I went and sat with a counselor and was like, what do I need to do to get out of here with a piece of paper? And um, so at that point, I got my degree is a Bachelor of Interdisciplinary Studies focused in clinical science and biology. So, okay. so yeah, that got a lot, I don't want to say darker, but I didn't yeah. know all that bullshit happened. I thought you just graduated with your med science no, med tech no, degree no, and no. left. So, yeah. so learning things myself here on Small Talk with Big Al. So you finished up at USM. Yep. Um, got through all the bullshit, got your interdisciplinary studies degree, and then mm-hmm. it's off to culinary school. Uh, not, okay. not quite immediately. So moving to New York was a pretty big undertaking. Uh, from Mississippi so I did the math and on what I would need to leave Mississippi to get to New York get into school and um, I worked essentially I had two jobs and then I also had a third side gig and I made cakes for about a year to save up money to move from here to New York okay so that was the lead up to throwing the deuces and heading on out to New York Okay, so then you get to New York to go to... Culinary Institute of America. The Culinary Institute of America, a different CIA than most of you are accustomed to. Um, And you had some food experience before you got there. You worked in Macomb um, at a lovely restaurant called The Caboose, uh, which always baffled me that it was in Macomb, that there was that good of a restaurant in this random southwest Mississippi town. Yep. um, Smack dab. And then, of course, you worked for a couple of restaurants in Hattiesburg. Or really, just was it just the one? I worked at uh, Crescent City and Purple Parrot. Shout out to Robert St. John and Jeremy Nofke. Um, And then I left there and I did a very brief couple months stint at a restaurant called Cotton Blues. Sorry, guys. I was a 19-year-old twat. Um, And, uh, yeah, that's about it. Okay. So then you go from that. You go from, you know... Really nice restaurant in a nothing town. Sorry, yep. people in Macomb listening. And <laughs> then you work for, you know, the restaurant Czar of Hattiesburg. Yep. Um, but really still comparatively really small town restaurant experience yep. Yep. compared to what you would get once you finally get to New York. Yep. So let's talk a little bit about what CIA was like in general. We don't have to go into too many details. Yeah, yeah. Don't want to bore people to death. But just kind of the high points and what it was like to go to culinary school. So CIA is very much marketed and billed as the Harvard of culinary schools. It is consistently ranked in the top three in the world, um, which is why I chose there. And it is an extremely intensive program. 
Uh, you do your classes are all three weeks long, but you are in class between forty and fifty hours per week. Holy shit! Um, so you crank out an entire semester worth in three weeks, and uh, it's a two-year program. You leave with associates. They also offer bachelor's degrees. They're one of the only four-year accredited culinary universities in the world. Did not know that. Okay. Um, I believe they're about to open up some master's degree programs. Don't quote Holy me on that. Holy shit! Um, super. Back to New York for you. Oh man! If, <laughs> if I could sell a kidney and go, I, I would in a heartbeat. I mean, I'm sure. I mean, I'm diabetic. I'll need one eventually. So <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah, that was definitely an experience of itself. So almost every instructor that I had the privilege of learning under was either a certified master pastry chef, uh, master baker. Um, there was a lot of master chefs on staff. It was just a really, really amazing, stellar. And very, very diverse group of people. I mean, I had chefs that were from Germany. I had French chefs. I mean, it was very, very... It, it really just... It was a privilege to be accepted and to go there. And um, it was hard. So they tell you when you get accepted that you pretty much cannot work because of the level of demand of the school. Right. Well, I mean, if you're spending 40 hours a week there anyway, it's right. pretty so, tough to do that and hold a job. Um, obviously, being from a small town Mississippi, also with a former bachelor's degree and being an adult. Yeah. I had to have a job, so most of my weeks, the whole time for two and a half years that I lived in New York were between 80 and 100 hours each. Jesus Christ. Um, I fun- I'd have murdered someone. Yeah, I functioned on about three hours, maybe four hours of sleep a night, most nights. Um, there was times when I like couldn't find my keys one morning. I had put them in the freezer. I was so tired, so... I mean, like, shit like that. Good times. Yeah, yeah, it's great. So, but yeah, again, it was an absolute privilege, and I would, if I had to go back and do it all again, I would. So just real briefly to to dive into it, we we grew up in the Gulf South, essentially. I mean, Poppaville's not far from the coast, and where I'm headed with it's not far at all from, you know, New Orleans. Not a comparable culinary school anywhere closer than New York, or did you just have your eyes set on CIA for a reason, just because of the eliteness of the program, or? Yeah, I mean, if you're going to do it, do it big, man. That's Um, that's fair. Yeah, I think there's maybe, I don't know, I don't even want to say, I don't, I don't even have it in me to plug another school. Honestly. No, I'm not saying to plug one. No, I just... yeah, I mean, it's just, it is what it is. So, um, the only other school that I even slightly considered was ICC, in, also in New York, okay. so, which they compete, they're in the, the top three to five every year also, so, um, yeah, it was in New York, one way or the other. Fair enough, okay. So, once you finish there... You, you get your degree, you're finished with culinary school, what's yep. next? You now need a job. Yeah, um, I already had one. <laughs> Fair. Because uh, I had been working the whole time. So. so were you working at a restaurant while you were doing that? Yes. So you're doing 40 hours a week at culinary school to then go work at a restaurant for another yes. 40 hours a week. Uh, Jesus. It, uh, it, it, it was a little broken, uh, so I was studying baking and pastry while I was in culinary school. Right. And I was managing a restaurant front of house. Um, and then I also waited tables on the weekends for some extra cash on my days off. Uh, the restaurant that I managed only served brunch on Sundays. And they were closed <coughs> on Monday. So I waited tables on Sunday, Monday also. And any days I had off, I would pick up shifts. Now, you do know that there is this thing. It's really nice. It's called sleep. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing. Lovely. Uh, I don't know if you know, but you should look into it. You should research it. It's good stuff. Team no sleep. So uh, you finish there. Do you continue working at those restaurants post-CIA, or is it then moving on to something bigger and better? 
Uh, so for a little while, I, I had my serving gig for a little while. Mm-hmm. Um, left there, and then same thing. We got ready. We made the decision to move back south for several reasons that did not come to fruition. But um, once we kind of made the call to move back south, <clears throat> I left the both restaurants that I was at, and uh, we moved back. Okay, so you moved back, and then you start working in the restaurant industry or is it something else yep, yep. so we moved we moved back and i lived in baton rouge took a little sabbatical for a few months um then we decided to move to jackson and um i worked front of house again i was a cocktail waitress for a little while for a few months and uh ended up getting reached out to by a local restaurant and i ended up being the sous chef of kate wine bar here in jackson for about a year and a half I didn't realize you were at Kate for that long. Yep. Okay. Uh, right about a year and a half, I was a sous chef there. And um, then I left there for us to start our own catering business. And I work retail to make up the difference between events and cakes. And I will say, you're, you're definitely not alone in that. I have a lot of friends who have kind of diversified what they do for a living that do have their kind of side gig that's most people would consider as their main gig. I have some photographer friends that mm-hmm, work mm-hmm. in offices and such to help pay for the photography job, right. etc. Um, so it's it's always interesting to me to see people do that because I couldn't imagine. I, I guess, I mean, I do the podcasting thing for fun. I don't work where I work to support a podcasting business, but that's an interesting way to think about it. So you've had your struggles. You've had your hiccups. You've had your burps. Mm-hmm. What has kept you in the food industry? So overall, I mean, I think it's really just there's something chaotic about creation in the restaurant industry that is absolutely not able to be replicated anywhere else that I've found. And I have worked, and I worked for an attorney, and obviously I'm in retail now. I've had some other little jobs also. So have you tried teaching? No, don't do it. <laughs> um, I would love to, actually, I would really love to get into eventually teaching some classes, adult classes. I, I can't deal with children. But, yes. Uh, I would love to teach some adult classes on food, whiskey, wine, all the good things in life, uh, in my experiences with all of the above. But um, yeah, there's just something really beautiful about controlled chaos. And I know you and I have talked about this before, but I like being in a really in your face industry because I feel like I'm slightly kind of an in-your-face person, so I I feel like in a lot of ways, segueing into another thing we'll probably talk about later, you know, not feeling at home in places, I feel like I've had a hard time feeling at home, not just in a location, but in a career field and with people. It's difficult to feel at home, and I've always felt at home in the restaurant industry. Maybe it's just... um, that it's a, a really great group of misfits everywhere you go. No, absolutely. I mean, it's I've experienced that because in my past career as a teacher, I've jumped around a lot because nothing ever felt like home, mm-hmm. assuming it was location, but it wasn't. It was career. Right. And then I stumbled upon the current one, and it feels much more at home. I'm not going to mention that current one because I want to be able to be an asshole on here and <laughs> not get fired. Um, that's why I'm going by Big Al the whole time, too. So I think, honestly, like really what it is about restaurants, it's – very unique in comparison to most anywhere else or most any other industry in the world too is I don't care if you're a felon I don't care what color you are I don't care what country you come from if you're 
even legally allowed to be in this one or you know gay straight other none of those things matter like right. can you cook a steak mm-hmm. yes come on mm-hmm. and i think that the really interesting thing about the restaurant industry is that you don't have any shock value you know everybody has all these political opinions about people and what they do and how they live and and i don't care and i think that's the beautiful thing about the restaurant industry is you stand shoulder to shoulder with all of these people every night from all these crazy different walks of life. I mean, I've worked with guys who, you know, were straight out of jail, had been shot, you know, all these different things and, you know, drug addicts and current addicts, former addicts and, you know, bad things happen to great people. And again, it all comes back to at the end of the day, like, can you cook an omelet, bro? Yeah, cool. I'll work with you all day, every day. And and there's no judgment there. Like, can you do what you say you can do? And cool, let's do it. And that's, I guess that's one reason that, if, I mean, I'm a, I, those who know me, I'm a larger guy and I enjoy food, but I don't think food industry is ever something I can do. I'm not in your face enough. Um, I'm way too much of a bitch to <laughs> try to succeed in such an industry um, without going in a corner and crying somewhere. So I'm going to stick to not that and just enjoy <laughs> the fruits of all of you and your compatriots' labor. So you've talked about your, your kind of your favorite reasons for working in the industry what's the least favorite every job has its downside Uh, yeah um i mean i think everybody if you're a chef or have ever been a chef or even a line cook a lot of times we're we're very much gluttons for punishment like i absolutely hate working a 16 hour shift but the next day it's like yeah i pulled a 16 hour shift what did you do bitch you know it's like yeah so it's we're very much gluttons for punishment so but my, my least favorite thing is that people are very, very often underappreciated, underrespected. It's very much a thankless industry. If you're back of house, front of house is great. Like, because I've been front of house. You smile, you set down a beautiful plate of food that somebody, you know, poured their whole soul into. And, you know, you say, let me know if I can get you anything else. And you make money off of that. And, you know, so front of house is very much a different beast of its own. But back of house, it's it's difficult because it is thankless and you you know it's again it's like it's the great thing and it's a bad thing that you pour your whole soul into something and you don't see you don't see the benefits of it you don't see people and how they feel about it but uh, it's very much an underpaid industry Uh, there is no sick leave and I I have worked some not necessarily corp well yeah kind of corporate but um, larger structured restaurants Mm -hmm. and it's you do get some benefits, but they're very slim. They're very few and far between. I can see that, yeah. Um, and you, you really do take a beating. I mean, you know, it's it's hard on on you to miss every single holiday, nights, weekends, all the time. True. It's difficult. So, I mean, I think that would be, I guess, what is the trade-off. You know, that is the least favorite. It, you know, but even like the nights and weekends thing, like that's fine. But if people were even a little more appreciated, more respected, it would make it a little more worth it. I could see that. And I mean, thanks for going all serious with least favorite. I was expecting like servers or bitches or something. <laughs> you give me no, I mean, nothing to work with. So, I mean, <clears throat> for, for a restaurant to be truly successful, and I have worked for a couple that were just beautiful operations. So for a restaurant to be truly successful, the whole back of house, front of house is very much like segueing into common misconceptions with the industry um for a restaurant to be truly successful there has to be a herculean effort to make front of house and back of house work together and to mesh and to respect each other and if you don't have that respect like 
yeah, I get it. You're here. You're only working four hours. You're hungover. I don't give a shit. Carry this tray of beautiful food that I've been here for 10 hours working on and, and do your job. And, yeah. you know, so yeah, there is a little bit of that every now and then, but you have to respect each other and, and a knowledgeable server who knows, who knows your food and appreciates your food will sell more of your food than anyone else. No, so, that's valid. And, and they're you know, doing themselves a favor at that point too, clearly. Exactly. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, there is always a little bit of that front of house, back house kind of thing, but right. But if you make it more of a jovial, you know, yeah, playful yeah. thing, that's different than it actually being a toxic right situation. Well, you brought it up, and one of my final topics that I wanted to touch on is um, kind of common misconceptions in, in the industry. So, just things that most people would not think about that they get wrong or just assume incorrectly or the like. And I know you've got one in particular that you want to hit on with this, that you're quite uh, opinionated about. Yeah, I'm, I'm really pretty outspoken about TV chefs. Um, now, is it is it the concept <laughs> of TV chefs in general? Is it specific ones? Oh. Like, are all of them garbage? Because, oh. I mean, I enjoy a TV chef or two. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, Gordon, Gordon Ramsay is the other love of my life and also probably the other love of my husband's life also. I mean... Um, so no, I don't think they're all garbage. I think, I think it's very trendy to be, and you know, kudos to the mom at home who's like slinging cookies and writing a blog for a living. Go girl. Shit. I'm jealous. You know, so I mean, I can't, I can't really fault people for that, but I think there is very much, I think some things just rub me the wrong way. And I think a lot of times it's a title and, um. You know, some people get a chapped ass about it, but, you know, I've, I've, I have been around and been trained by and had the privilege of learning from real master chefs. So I very much have a problem with the title of that show. Okay. Um, not the, not the idea of a home cook going and, you know, doing a competition or, you know, right. you need, those things, that's all cool. You know, you went and you competed against other you know, quote, quote, home chefs, which is really awesome. You know, I, a lot of times I get home and I don't have the energy to cook at home. That's cool. Um, but it's really just kind of the title with that. But I think there's very much like this thing to do with TV. It's like, oh, I'm just going to be the next TV network star. And it's like, bro, you know, there's so much more that goes into this and just being on TV. And you know, it's like, can you lead a team? Can you make people believe in your food? Right. Can you, you know, not just can you come up with something cool by yourself, but can you think about the big picture? So, you know, we talk a lot about like cross utilization of product and, you know, cross training of your people and making a whole line flow. You know, you have multiple stations for people who are non restaurant industry, you know, making one dish happen five people might have touched something on that dish to make it happen you know so it's it's very much a larger beast and i think that's another common misconception leading into this you know off of that topic i have i've had friends and family members and stuff call me it's like oh i've you know i love food i've always wanted to open a restaurant and yeah i've heard people complain about this (laughs) yeah it's like okay well go work in one first like don't Go. just start one up without any knowledge. Yeah, I mean, this, yeah. this industry has a 95% annual turnover rate, and most all businesses in the food industry fail within the first five years. 
and a lot of that is people who do know their shit. Yeah. And, you know, I have friends and, like I said, friends and family members contact me. It's like, I want to do this. And it's like, okay, well, my advice is for you to go work for one. Work front of house, work back of house. And, you know, try to stodge somewhere. I know that's kind of an underutilized term in the South, but it's very prevalent in larger cities. And, you know, go find the nicest restaurant you can in New Orleans if you're from here. Go to, go to the nicest restaurant you can in New Orleans. But like, can I do a one-week stodge with you? And just learn everything you can. Be a sponge. But people don't want to hear that. They want to just be like, oh, well, I have the money, so I'm going to start this. And then you can't do that with other professions. Like, no, I, you know. Hey, bro, I'm going to go be a doctor. Like, right, like watched a couple, watched a couple episodes of Grey's. Yeah, I got I mean, this. Like, I really like pretty teeth. I'm just going to, you know, fuck it. I'm going to be a dentist. So I think it's, that's a very common misconception is that people are like, I like food. I like restaurants. I'm just going to open one. And, and, and I think it's know. kind of the, I like food, and I saw, you know, Mario Batali do it, so if he can, I can't. They, they forget the step that Mario Batali was a successful chef for decades. Yeah, yeah. Or Emerald, or, you know, mm-hmm. Andrew Zimmern, or the late um, Anthony Bourdain, or who have you. Like, mm-hmm. those guys didn't just decide to be on TV and chef. That's yeah. not how that works. Yeah, there's so much more <laughs> that leads up to it. And, you know, I think, you know, me even just being a sous chef, there's so much that, like, you know, I managed a restaurant in front of house, and I've done a lot of pastry work, and I feel like I've kind of cut my teeth here and there, but I, I can learn something from anyone, anywhere, any day, any time. And if right. you don't have that mentality, then you don't need to open a restaurant. No, absolutely. And um, I think that's a very common misconception is that, you know, I'm just going to, I'm just going to open this and it's going to be great and people are going to show up and eat my food and you know, you can't figure out why it takes you 20 minutes to make a sandwich. It's like, well, you know, it's... You don't know what you're doing and you haven't been trained. To, you're not making a sandwich for your husband after he gets off work. Yeah, and it, it's a shame. It really is. It, yeah. hurt, it hurts my heart when people don't... Not necessarily that they don't succeed. That sounds rough. But, you know, when when things don't work out for good people, that sucks. So, Absolutely. You know, it sounds... I'm very kind of blunt and harsh a lot of times. So I feel like that sounds rough, but... No, I think they need it, though. They need to hear rough. Yeah, I mean, but like I said, like, people don't want to hear that, you know, yeah, go do a stodge. Go work for free. Put in 40, 50 hours of free labor somewhere to for the trade-off of being a sponge and learning from somebody who has been doing exactly. this for decades. No, it makes a lot of sense. So there's, you know, the, the big soapbox for the misconceptions. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> that's all we discussed when I sent you the outline for the episode yeah but there are two other things i want to talk about all right one i thought about last minute and just didn't have time to put it and the other one i just wanted to get your reaction on kind of naturally without your preparation okay so one uh just to to get into food in general not just the food industry Mm -hmm. um i like to try weird shit so step one would be what's the weirdest food you have tried either in the industry or just outside of I feel like anything you watched me pull out of my refrigerator and heat up and just eat a 10-minute lunch standing up in my own kitchen would <laughs> probably be pretty weird uh, combination-wise. Okay. Uh, but other than that, I mean, just like stuff that generally people have a reaction to. I mean, I've eaten, oh, I've eaten brains, liver, kangaroo, snails, um snake i've eaten rattlesnake um i had it in a sausage it was pretty pretty legit yeah yeah I mean, um 
gator's pretty common down here, so that's not and even... That's what I was going to touch on, yeah. too. We say weird food. I mean that colloquially for where we live. Right. Um, because yeah. weird food is relative to where you are. There are parts of America, for some godforsaken reason, that think catfish is weird and should be thrown back. And those people are the devil, and I don't want to talk to them. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, so it's relative. I don't want anybody to get offended yeah, yeah, when no. we say your choice of no, um, not at all. Like food said, is weird. Um, yeah, like I said, I, I mean, heart, uh, glands, feet, yeah, just pickle pig's feet. It's kind yeah, of a Rocky southern... Mountain oysters were mine, I think, probably what most people would consider the weirdest thing I've eaten. Um, I they had, were good, though. I had haggis in Scotland. That's on my bucket list. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's... I had kangaroo cook like three or four different ways when I was in Australia. Yeah, that's on the bucket list too. Um, <clears throat> snails are great. Um, they are, but I think the, the the last time I tried them, they weren't done well. They yeah. were a little too rubbery, a little too mm-hmm. tough, so it wasn't the best. But the same restaurant also cooked me some of the best steak, tar- steak tartare I've ever had either, so I can't bitch too much. Yeah. Um, so just think about that too, just kind of touching on that, just out of nowhere. Um, ever thought about like going and working other countries? Every, somewhere else. every day have knives will travel um you know i i think that's kind of my thing is that you know craig uh picks at me a lot he'll come in and i'll have zillow pulled up on the laptop like looking for rental places in scotland or rental places in scott uh london and you know i just i've traveled a pretty good bit but that that little bug never goes away and right. you know that is that is a great thing about the industry is that you know i can do this anywhere and it's, How different is it in other places? Uh, I mean, just being from the South, moving to New York, I feel like New York has a really bad rep. That's, no, the, the couple times I've went, I completely agree with that statement. Um, <clears throat> yeah, especially like Southerners, like, oh, New Yorkers are assholes, blah, blah, blah. It's like, Have you met an LSU fan? <laughs> 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 yeah. uh, no, I mean, I think it's other places, I feel like it's all just kind of relative to pay grade. I feel like worldwide this is a pretty low paying industry so i mean that wouldn't really change for me what about the appreciation (laughs) levels like are there other countries where you know restaurant culture at least in the media is Mm -hmm. glorified in say france or in paris or where right right would it would is that more legit would that be something that would actually occur i think it would be as an american going to a different country that might be different so i very much do not feel like France would be a great place for me personally to go. Okay. I don't feel like I don't feel like I would respond well to the attitude of a French kitchen toward toward an American cook. But all of that being said, I did have two of the French chefs that I had in culinary school were absolutely like beautiful wonderful amazing people mm-hmm. and um chef berlioz actually like gave this one big like really i mean heart-wrenching speech about like just desserts and how like you know when you finish a meal it's the very last thing you eat it's the last thing on your mind and if it doesn't take you home and if it doesn't take you back somewhere then it needs to freeze you in the moment that you are in so that some other time you can come back to it and how, you know, desserts always leave you with that. And it's, so I've had like some very beautiful kind of life lessons and, you know, French chefs very much have like, 
are very hard, but they kind of take you under their wing also. Right. Um, but that was French chefs in America. I don't know how... French chefs in France. Yeah, might be yeah. a little... French chefs in France might be a little too much for my personality type. That's fair. That's fair. So. Okay, so to close out, it's just so fortuitous that I was playing on the Snapchats earlier, <laughs> as the youngins do. And one of their sites that does Snapchat stories, Taste Made, did one on different food-related jobs that you might not know exist. So I'm going to give it to you, Race. and you're going to yay or nay it. <laughs> <clears throat> I didn't pick all of them. I just picked the ones that I thought would get the best reaction. Okay. So the first is an adults-only hotel in Puerto Vallarta, Mexico. Sign me up. They have a restaurant called Guacamania, which employs <laughs> several's Several guacamologists. <laughs> it's all you do. Make guac all day. But it's adults only? It's, no, it says like, adults only. No children? It's the son. restaurants or the... It's a hotel. Hotel is named Casa Veas. Sign me up, Well, bro. there you go. Okay, so guacamology is good. <laughs> all right. Professional Nutella taster. Sign me up. <laughs> Welcome I'm to down. diabetes. Uh, I am down. Because it's coming. A, a girl that I went to culinary school with, shout out to Audrey Lee, man, for killing it. She's like a couple years younger than me and just, gosh, this girl has her shit together. But she's uh, one of the chefs for Nutella, like for their, for their home office. That's also, I didn't know that the yeah, company yeah. also made Kinder, like Kinder eggs and shit. Apparently mm-hmm. it's the same company. Yeah. But they opened up a search for official taste testers who get to live in Italy and snack <laughs> on Nutella for a living. Audrey, let me come <clears throat> try your stuff. I'd probably die. <laughs> The sugar would get to me, but you know. Honey sommelier. Yes. <laughs> okay, so we're, we're three for three so far. I am all about all of this stuff, man. The last two, I think, is where we may get some uh, some pushback. So this one is, this is very vaguely food industry related, okay. but truffle hunting dog trainer. <laughs> so that you can train the dog to find the truffle. Uh, You know, I feel like, this is like a very people are gonna hate me for this. Go ahead though. Uh, I feel like truffle is played out. Um, everybody that could get their hands on truffle since freaking two thousand two is like truffle on everything, everywhere, all the time. Right. So I well, think, some of its luster. Yeah, and I and I think it's like overpowering in a lot of places. So you're so. saying truffle hunting dog trainers a dying field is what you're getting at. I'm not saying it's a dying field. I'm saying like. Somebody else can This do field it. we literally <laughs> learned about 10 minutes ago. Yeah, somebody else can have that one. And last, and I've seen people do this on TV. It looks lovely. Sarcasm. Um, a gooey duck fisher. Yeah, it's a type of clam oyster family type thing. I saw it on Dirty Jobs, so that should tell you okay. what this is. Okay. Um, I saw Micro play with some gooey ducks. Um, yeah, so I, that one I'd have to tap out of. They're like apparently really slimy. And disgusting, but you know, more part too. If you I want mean, to do like, it. can I live on an island and go fishing for maybe? Do, I don't let's find out where, where do they, they uh, come from. Excuse me momentarily, folks, while we Google search. Uh, because where, if, if they come from like the Virgin Islands, then yeah, where gooey ducks come from because I truthfully don't know. There's probably people screaming at us right now that know they uh, apparently it's the Pacific gooey duck. So, so can, there's islands in the Pacific. Hold on, um, that's crazy. Where is it? Uh, Western Canada and Northwest United States. So I could live in like Oregon. Oregon? Yeah. Done. Yeah. There you go. Gooey ducks. 
And apparently they're big in Tokyo, so you could probably go to Japan and. I'm in. Sign China me up. Japan and do that. So, so yeah, anything. Oh, uh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Wikipedia had the Chinese translation for gooey duck. Elephant <laughs> trunk clam. Elephant trunk. That's what it looks like. Yep. Yeah. That is what the Chinese call um, gooey ducks. Yeah, I'm in. They look disgusting, but if you cooked it right, I'd, I'd probably eat it. I'm in. Just fry it. <laughs> so that is this episode of Small Talk with Big Al in a nutshell. Before we leave, I'm not going to do this with every episode, but you are uh, gracious enough to be uh, my guest. So if people need some shit baked, <laughs> where can they find you? Do you have like a website or some shit? Uh, you can go to my Instagram has pictures of some stuff. I'm not super professional yet because I don't have... Uh, I'm operating under a very gray area Mississippi has called, okay called cottage law oh yeah yep so yep. in Mississippi I can legally produce things out of my house as far as cakes and cupcakes and all these things go so you can call my cell phone number I'm gonna put this out there <laughs> on the internet. oh my god okay uh, Craig Craig this is not my fault I did not put her up to this she starts getting random phone calls yeah her- I mean yeah whatever here we go uh 601 463-0167. Text me about cakes. It's fine. She does really awesome wedding cakes. She did some for a friend of ours wedding about what, a month ago, almost to the day yeah. um, right now. And it was they were really nice and excellent. Um, I can vouch as a lover of food. <laughs> they are well done. Um, so highly recommend um, <laughs> if you're in the Jackson area or anywhere in Mississippi, probably really, I would imagine. Yeah, have so, knives will travel. There you go. So <laughs> they will bring you your wedding cake. Thank you, Jessica, for deciding to be a guest. I'm sure we will hear from you again on a variety of other topics <laughs> before we are done. And uh, that's it. See you later, folks.